0: first thing I'm going to talk to you about is meditation object. And what I'd like you to do right now is just observe the sensations of the air moving in and out of your nostrils. If you haven't done this before, then you'll find this a very interesting thing to do. I, I prefer the breath as a meditation object. Actually, no, I don't. The breath is a terrible meditation object.
1: <laughs> the
0: sensations of the breath are a fabulous meditation object. The sensations of the breath. Uh, they were what the, the Buddha used. I mentioned a sutra, it's called the Anapanasati Sutra, the mindfulness of the in-and-the-out breath. And in the other sutras where he speaks of meditation, mindfully he breathes in, mindfully he breathes out, and he breathes in a long breath, and he knows he breathes in a long breath, and so on and so forth. And this is probably the most widely used meditation object in the world, and there are very good reasons for it. And I described some of them in that handout. But uh, it doesn't mean that you can't, do this practice using other meditation objects. meditation object, after all, is just something to anchor your attention to. But uh, this is an ocean community, so as you realize, some things make better anchors than others. (laughs) Breath makes much, much better anchor than almost anything else you can come up with, and it's always there. Anyway, I would like you to acquaint yourself with the sensations that are produced as you breathe naturally by the air passing over the skin in the vicinity of the nostrils, and where you feel it most clearly will vary from one person to another. It may be your upper lip, maybe the skin around the opening of the nostrils. It may be somewhere inside your nose in the nasal passages. Your job is just to find where those sensations are most clearly discerned. And it may be a small area, no bigger than a pencil eraser, or it may be an area that's two inches across. It may be that you can feel the in-breath sensations more clearly in a slightly different location than where you feel the out sensations. So then you would make the area that you focus your attention be one that encompasses both of those. found? The Anapanasati spot? (laughs) The Anapanasati spot? (laughs) The sensations occurring there as you breathe naturally will be your meditation object to anchor your attention on. Is there anybody that's having difficulty finding that place?
2: I don't feel it anywhere. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not on the surface.
0: How about... Not on the surface. Uh, do you feel it internally? In, in, inside your nose? Yeah, just,
1: just the movement. Okay.
0: Uh, try the, the abdomen. If you, can you feel the rising and falling of your abdomen yeah. as you breathe? Okay. You use that as you're <clears throat> on, upon a spot. Okay. Now remember, it's the sensations breath, air, nose, in, out, all these other things. Are fantasies made up by your mind. They may seem real, but the only thing that's real are those sensations. So that's what you want to pay attention to. Don't follow the breath out of your body, and don't follow the breath into your body, because that's more imagination. Just notice what's actually there. you know what your meditation object is. I'm going to show you a way to begin your meditation that moves on to that a little more gradually. So what I want you to do now is adjust yourself as comfortably as possible. Close your eyes or perhaps have your eyes unfocused on a neutral space in front of you you if you're used to meditating with your eyes open. It's good to learn to meditate with your eyes open eventually. It's a great way to combat subtle dullness. But if you're not already used to meditating with your eyes open, do it with your eyes closed. You can learn to meditate with your eyes open later. Okay? And sit there with your eyes closed, or else unfocused on a neutral point And just allow yourself to be completely aware of your body, sounds a vehicle driving by anything to do with the five senses if their thoughts arising in your mind don't pay attention to them just let them be there but let your attention freely roam over any sensations anything to do with the present here and now and so for the next moment or two just Be present, here and now. If any thought tries to take you to the past or the future or somewhere else, bring yourself back to the present. Use bodily sensations, any other physical sensations to help anchor you in the present. This is the only limitation on the movement of your attention for the moment. Stay in the present. It should be very relaxed and easy. Now, for the next step, confine the movements of your attention to sensations on or in your body. So that means keep attention from going to sounds or smells or anything outside of the sensations in your body. Let your attention move freely there. If you find any tension anywhere, let it go. any final adjustments to your posture to be completely comfortable, go ahead and do it now. You might have noticed that the most prominent sensations in your body are the ones related to the breath, whether at the abdomen, the chest, the shoulders, or in the nose around the face. So confine your attention to those breath-related sensations. Explore any and all of them with your attention, but keep the attention confined to breath-related sensations. say your attention is confined to the breath-related sensations. Let your awareness encompass anything and everything else. Don't try to shut anything out. It's only the movements of attention that you're restricting. Now confine your attention to the sensations of the room at the Anapana spot, the vicinity of the nostrils. Like to count ten breaths. At the end of the next exhale, count to yourself one, and then continue that way. If you lose track of the count, or if you realize that you've missed being uh, uh, conscious of either an inhale or an exhale, begin the count over again. When you've reached ten breaths that you've been able to follow continuously, continue to follow the breath without counting. As you follow the sensations of the breath, make sure that you continue to have peripheral awareness of sensations, sounds, whatever else happens to be there. Maybe thoughts. Don't don't let them take your attention. Allow them to be there in the background. As you follow the sensations of the breath, notice the point where the in-breath begins and where it ends. And notice that there's a pause before the out-breath begins. Notice the point where the out-breath ends. You'll see there's another pause before the next in-breath. So follow those sensations. and Try to be as clearly aware as you can of those different events in the breath cycle. Has your awareness of the rest of your body faded as a result of following the sensations of the breath more closely? Without losing awareness of the sensations of the breath at the nose, expand your awareness of the body. Become very aware of the body sensations. You don't lose the awareness of the breath. focus in more closely on the breath again searching for the beginnings and the endings and the pauses. Observe what happens to the awareness of your body Notice the occasional movements of your attention in response to a sound or some other sensation or a thought. Just observe that behavior of mind. Notice how some things occasionally stand out from the background and how your attention is inclined to move towards them when they do. Open your eyes. <clears throat> this is a short meditation. We'll do a little bit longer one together when we get together tomorrow afternoon. But I wanted to have a little chance for questions and answer, and just talk to you a little bit more about the practice. comments about that brief experience. Yes?
2: Um, I understand what you're, uh, when you are switching the focus from sort of uh, being aware of what's going on with external things, whether it's your body sensation or noises, and then kind of switching that to a smaller focus of the anapana area. Mm-hmm. I think some days, um, it's maybe easier to ignore those, even when you're in the small focus, than other days. And yes. maybe is a day where the knee's paining or you've got something going on with your hip and you can't seem to let it go, mm-hmm. even when you're switching back and forth. The toggling is a technique I haven't tried, but I, I really like that. Um, do you, are there other techniques to...?
0: <coughs> yes. There's a, there's a lot of other techniques. First of all, the first thing that we did is a way to just gradually bring your focus in. And it also makes you very aware of how your attention moves. Because you're letting it move, but you're gradually confining it more and more. And when You have it on one place. You, I, hopefully you, 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 you were really sensitive to it, and could feel the tendency of someone coughed, or a car went by, or something mind wanting to go over to that other thing. So it makes you very aware of that. Um, And then the other thing is uh, that uh, I did is just ask you to experiment a little bit with the balance between being aware of one thing or another. Um, With regard to the way we entered the meditation, there were actually four phases to that. You're aware of everything that's in the present. That's the first one. Let your attention go away. Second, you're aware of anything in the body. And, no, I shouldn't say you you allow your attention to move anywhere in the body. You're aware of everything. You're still aware of sounds. You're still aware of thoughts. They're in the background. Third stage, you narrow it down to breath sensations. And the fourth stage, now you brought it to a, uh, a small area here or perhaps here in some case. Now that process, depending on how... Agitated, your mind is. Um, you might, you might, it might take a longer time or a shorter time. So you might sit down to meditate, and uh, you might spend most of your whole meditation period before you finally get focused on the breath. That doesn't matter. It's fine. It's just, it's a way of doing this. It's a gentle way of doing this. That, um, as it, the more experience you have meditating you're going to naturally go through this much more quickly. It'll be a very easy transition. But it gives you that latitude and you can adapt from one day to the next to what your needs are. Also, you can go back. If If you've brought your focus, attention on your nose, and then you find that there's some agitation and restlessness arising, then you can expand it to any rest sensation in the body or if you need to, to any bodily sensation, just let your attention roam through the bodily sensations till your mind starts to get calmed down a little bit and then you can bring your focus back. So you can, that's a technique that you can use that way. Yes?
1: I enjoyed the calmness of it, but in my case, I felt the whole cranial thing, the whole nasal passage, and that was very soothing. Mm -hmm. It it was was like a very relaxing thing.
0: Yeah, yes. That's the other thing that uh, you, if you didn't notice just then, you will notice, is that when your attention does begin to stabilize, it is very relaxing, it's very peaceful, and when your mind becomes still, your body becomes still and more comfortable, and vice versa. When your body's still and comfortable, it's easier for your mind to calm down. It's very important to discover the best meditation posture to sit in. Sitting still is uncomfortable. It's impossible to find a way to sit that isn't going to produce some discomfort. But, minimize that. Find the best way that you can sit for longer periods of time with the least amount of discomfort. And experiment with different ways of doing that. <clears throat> but don't expect to eliminate all discomfort.
2: Yes? So, um, in what we just did, um, the more agitated that, that you are in the moment, then the more you should broaden the field. And then as you get less and less agitated, then you can start to narrow it, and to go to the body, and then to the breath. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that's a very effective way of dealing with it. Um, especially if the agitation is in the form of thoughts, mental activity. Um, because if you're paying attention to bodily sensations, <clears throat> then that naturally tends to calm down mental activity. So it's a very good antidote for that. So you can go to the sensations, and then when you feel you're starting to get calmer, then you can go back. Did anybody experience uh, forgetting what they were doing and their mind was wandering? let me just talk to you about this. As you noticed, you're focusing your breath, or you're focusing your attention on the sensations of the breath at the nose. You're aware of many things in your peripheral awareness. Some of those things tend to stand out a bit, right? The things that are in the background, that are standing out from the background, we call those subtle distractions. They're distractions because they're not. You know, they're trying to take your attention away from the meditation object. That's why we call them, distractions. But, so long as they remain in the background, just tempting the attention, we call them subtle distractions. Some of you may have had the experience that one of those subtle distractions displaced the awareness of the breath as the focus of attention. So now the breath was in the background, and something else was the focus. As a matter of fact... That might have happened when I suggested to you to continue to be aware of the breath at the nose, but to shift the attention of the whole body. You might have found that the focus of your attention was body sensations and the breath was in the background. Any time a distraction comes up and becomes strong enough that it displaces the meditation object from the focus of attention, so that the meditation object is still there, you're still aware of it, but it's now in the background. Then we call it a gross distraction. So, there's a tendency for subtle distractions to become gross distractions. Now, when you have a gross distraction, when you're paying attention to a thought or a pain in your knee and the breath is now in the background, the longer you stay on it, and some distractions are more potent than others, so this can happen much more quickly with some than others. Sooner or later, what's going to happen is the awareness of the breath is going to fade entirely from the back. <laughs> and at that point, you are going to forget about the breath. You're going to forget what you intended to be doing. So that's called forgetting. The subtle distractions <laughs> become gross distractions. Gross distractions <laughs> cause forgetting. When you've forgotten, your mind is now preoccupied with what was a gross distraction. Now it's the focus of your attention. It's the only focus of your attention. Now, what will happen then is that as this goes on, the mind will tire of that and find something else, or else, whatever it was, will cause you to think of something else, and the mind will go to the next thing. And from there... By association, we'll go to something else, and we'll get tired of that, and we'll find something else. And that's called mind wandering. Okay, so forgetting leads to mind wandering. Your mind—when you say your mind has wandered—is when it's abandoned what took you away from the meditation object and moved on to something else, and it's making its journeys through all kinds of things. That's mind wandering. The next thing that happens. Sooner or later, you're going to suddenly realize that you're not doing what you intended to do. Now, this is a, this is the most crucial event until it ceases to occur. This is the most crucial event that's going to happen in your meditation. Not that you forgot, not that you mind wandered. Don't worry about that. That happens. What is important is that you realized. Uh, You awoke to the present moment. Did any of you have that experience where you realize, and it's like waking up. It's like, oh, yes. If you compare the quality of your mind in that moment to what it was just a few seconds before when you were lost in that thought, you are distinctly more awake, aware, totally present. And it's good. It feels good. It's delightful. If you notice the quality of that moment, I think you can honestly say, that's how I'd like to be all the time. Okay? And that's what's important. To recognize that, appreciate that, savor there. And then, once you've fully appreciated the fact that you've come back to the present moment, you've woken. gently bring your attention back to the breath. And try to retain that sense of being present for as long as you can. You'll lose it again, but try to sustain it as long as you can. Now, that event where you realize that you weren't doing what you intended to do, did you do that on purpose? Did you do that? Did you make it happen? No great example of a totally unconscious process that you have absolutely no control over. You cannot make it happen. It's the one thing you most want to happen. You want it to happen as soon as possible and as often as possible, but you have no control over it. Yeah? I find sometimes when if um, I can't
2: get my mind off and I'm trying to go to sleep, I can't get my mind off something. focusing on my breathing helps me get my mind off and just focusing on the sound of my breathing and mm-hmm. the sensations. Sometimes that'll just help me go to sleep quicker.
0: Yes, and That's that, a
1: nice feeling.
0: That is that same principle that I was yeah. talking about a moment ago. If you put your attention on bodily sensations, mm-hmm. then mental activity calms <coughs> down, quiets mm-hmm. down.
1: So. They reminded me of sometime, there were a couple of times I had some dental work done and they gave me nitrous oxide Mm -hmm. as a total and you could feel the breathing and in the breathing as I was feeling the breathing it felt like it was going in circles like in a tunnel and when when I had my eyes closed I could see the dentist put restraints on my feet so I wouldn't fall
0: but I could feel the breathing and and the breathing had like a, a sound kind of a metallic sound and a spinning sensation that's interesting. I'm not sure
1: what... It... <laughs> I'm not sure if
0: you were trying to make a point or, or something. It was
1: just kind of an interesting...
0: Oh, just an interesting observation. Oh, thank you. It's... Let me go back to what I was saying. I was, I was getting to something here. I'm sorry. That this event of uh, realizing that you weren't doing what you intended is something that's not under your conscious control. That it it's something you can influence. I said that what you're going to do is you're going to use your conscious mind to train your unconscious mind that's an unconscious mechanism. And you're going to train it through positive reinforcement. When it happens, you're going to notice, you're going to appreciate, you're going to enjoy, you're going to congratulate yourself, pat yourself on it, whatever it takes to positively reinforce that. And the more often you do that, then that is going to start happening more often. Your periods of mind-wandering will become shorter. Eventually, your mind, you won't have mind wandering. You'll have forgetting, but your mind won't wander. It will happen that you realize this before your mind has gone on to the next topic and the next one and the next one. So this is is how you're going to succeed in training your mind. It's by positively reinforcing this good, desirable thing that's happened. And it will respond very strongly. The worst thing that you can do is, when you realize that your mind's been wandering, you say, ah, not again.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: because that's negative reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And the forgetting happened a long time ago. <laughs> what just happened was the good thing. And if you if you have a negative reaction, You're doing exactly the wrong thing. You're negatively reinforcing the positive event. Not to mention the fact that uh, the the events that cause the forgetting and the mind wandering are completely normal, very well-established mechanisms of your mind that serve a very important function in your daily life. You are not going... Even if you could make the negative reinforcement coincide with the event, it's going to be very, very difficult to train the mind through negative reinforcement to stop doing something that is so completely natural that it's been doing your whole life and that serves an important purpose. Mm-hmm. So, there is no place in this process for feeling bad about the fact that something completely natural has happened. So, practice letting go of all of those kinds of feelings. Focus on the good event that happened. Reinforce that positively, so it's going to happen uh, more readily in the future. Yes,
1: yeah. Master Yates, I'm, I'm sure that you probably have already gone over this,
2: but if you could indulge me, um, there are times in my meditation where I feel as if I've I cease
1: breathing. Now is. Is
0: that the same thing as this forgetting? No. Totally different. Forgetting is forgetting what you're doing. Forgetting is where you've lost the breath because your mind has logged on to something else. What you're talking about, especially as your concentration becomes deeper, you become more focused, your breathing will become very shallow. And sometimes it can become so shallow that it's difficult to continue to follow the breath. Now. As you go along, if you practice properly, your perceptual acuity gets greater and greater and greater. It will become so strong that even when your breath is barely perceptible, the sensations are so intense, you almost can't stand them. But between between now and when that happens, there will be periods where your breath becomes very shallow. You don't have sufficient perceptual acuity to still detect them. So, the best thing to do, the best way to approach this, usually there is still, there's, there's still some sensation that you can pick up. It may be only the beginning of the in-breath. If what you do is you're aware of the beginning of the in-breath and you continue to search for the remaining sensations of the rest of the breath cycle until the beginning of the next in-breath makes itself apparent. You're going to have a fantastic meditation. That's going to really engage the mind because it's not as easy as it was before, and so you're going to be more fully engaged, and you're going to stay with it more easily. And it's going to have the effect of sharpening up your awareness. Great. So, so that's the way to deal with that. And it's not forgetting. No, it's just a, it's a normal process. And in a sense, you could regard it as, uh, as a good indication that you're you're reaching a lot of you're reaching a high degree of stability. Yeah.
2: So I've been told that when one meditates, your spine should be straight, and you should stay as still as possible. And as as I'm meditating, and I can feel my posture slouching, but I'm trying to stay still. Mm-hmm. Is it is there anything um, is there anything not beneficial about you know as you're inhaling, just being aware of your posture and straightening yourself back up, or should you just let yourself continue to slouch? No.
0: If you become aware that you're starting to slouch forward, and, and that, does, that does happen, at the moment you become aware of it, and very intentionally, just straighten yourself back up again, and as often as you notice that, do the same thing. There's no problem with that. To stay still means there will be discomforts, and sometimes agitation can manifest physically, and you'll want to fidget and move. And that's what we mean, but don't, don't succumb to that until, I mean, a, a pain may become intense enough that you have to move. And when it becomes intense enough that there is no choice, well then go ahead and move. Move with complete mindfulness. But until then, as much as possible, try to remain still. But things like slumping, whenever you notice that, just go ahead and straighten up. Do it, do it mindfully, and it's just a minor little thing. The same thing if you become aware that you're developing tension. Like sometimes we'll develop tension in forehead, eyes, Mm -hmm. shoulders. You'll be sitting there concentrating and you feel your shoulders are going like this. As soon as you realize that's happening, let it go. Just relax it.
2: Yes? I notice a lot of temperature fluctuation when I'm meditating. I I often can get really very cold or more usually pretty hot. Mm -hmm. That.
1: <laughs> 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 well
0: <coughs> could be it could be all kinds of things, but what will happen as a part of meditation at a more advanced stage is you may have feelings of, of Chills, heat, prickly sensations, and things like that, and they're actually precursors of the arising of meditative joy. Yeah. And so, um, and so, some people don't have temperature sensations at all; they have completely different kinds of things. But some people do. You know, they'll they'll, they'll feel like there's an icy breeze, blowing or blowing, you know, blowing down their neck. So I don't know if that's the sort of thing that you're talking about. Uh, if it is, just let those things be. and Just keep on practicing. Because if that's what it is, uh, there's going to be other strange sensations and they're going to become more intense. And eventually they're going to re- lead to some very interesting and enjoyable experiences. Um, but the best way to bring that about is just to keep practicing as you were and disregard them. Other than that, it could be that in your sitting you become more sensitive to the fluctuations of the temperature that are normally there. And I would say just you want to choose uh, a place to do your regular practice, maybe that's not too close to uh, heating or air conditioning vent, or you might want to use a, a, a silk or light wool meditation shawl, which will tend to really moderate both, both extremes of temperature.
2: um uh, when I, when my mind is drifting from my mm-hmm. object of meditation, it can go to to some places that uh, give some really wonderful insights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yes. And then I find myself saying, "Well, that's not what you're supposed to be mm-hmm. meditating about." So, but at the same time, it can feel at afterwards when I come out of the meditation
0: there's some benefit Mm -hmm. yes Um, that's what I was talking about earlier in the fourth stage you it it can become a trap you'll have these great insights and if you succumb to them and if you go ahead and entertain this uh, then when you sort of finish with it you'll have this feeling like you want more and Mm your mind will go looking for something else and it'll find something else. And if you do that once, then the next day, your mind to do the same thing. And the next day, until your meditations deteriorate into uh, this kind of uh, analytical, insight-seeking activity. What's really interesting, if you notice the content of that, is in the beginning, they were really wonderful, valuable, useful insights. But as you go along, they come to be the most trivial, trite, meaningless junk. <laughs> so, the thing to do with that is when something comes up that seems really good and really brilliant, then make a careful note of it, and put it in your mental pocket, and say, "Okay, I'm going to come back to that later. It was really worth paying attention to. It will it, still be there later." Okay, but. It is, it is the meditation practice that's giving you the clarity that allows these kinds of insights to come. And that's what you want to continue doing. Because you can, you can entertain those insights. There are a lot of other opportunities. As a matter of fact, if, if it happens very often and they are a very useful thing, what I would suggest is that you set aside a separate period of time for doing analytical meditations. You sit down... Do the breath meditation until your mind gets calm and clear, and then intentionally bring that up and think about it. But it is a completely separate practice, so you don't mix the two. Okay, okay. yes?
1: I just, um, I ha- wasn't familiar with the differentiation of the focus of attention and the peripheral attention. i, I never, I guess, heard it said exactly that way. I found that really helpful, and one thing you said seemed completely um, unusual, which was to even, if you're focusing on the sensations of the breath, to even consider thoughts as part of the Because it seems like thoughts are so central to, this. like thoughts are where it's at, you know, it's thoughts are, so it, it was really sort of interesting to be, um, I don't know if, if you can say more about that, but just,
0: yeah. Yes, it, that is a. It's a very, it's a very important thing. I think you'll find an extremely useful tool. This this way of thinking between attention and peripheral awareness. And one thing I'll point out to you, if you can sustain peripheral awareness, you won't, you won't fall asleep so easily, and you won't be distracted so easily. It. Uh, as far as the latter, it may seem contradictory. If I allow myself to be aware of these other things in the background, you mean I'm not going to get distracted and forget what I'm doing as easily? But it actually is true. Yeah, It actually is true. What will happen instead is that because of that increased peripheral awareness, if something does start to come in and displace the meditation object, you'll be aware of it much more quickly. As far as thoughts go, When you sit down to meditate, the two major sources of distractions are physical sensations and thoughts. Because you usually pick a place that's relatively quiet. So whatever sounds are there, there will be familiar things like the occasional car going by or a dog barking in the distance or something. You know, and and your eyes are either closed or unfocused, and, and you're not, unless you're meditating next to a kitchen, you're not smelling anything. The two sources of uh, distractions that you have are mental objects that are coming from the thinking, feeling, discriminating mind, and sensations, bodily sensations, that are coming from the somatosensory mind. And of those two, the most difficult ones to deal with are the thoughts and mental objects, right? They're the ones that, they're the most potent ones. They're the ones that can be attractive and tempt you to attend to them. Or they're also the ones that can sneak in and just take over the focus of your attention. So, learning to be aware of them is really important. If, If they're there and you know that they're there, you're much less vulnerable to them. Now, if a thought's there, And very often it's a verbal thought, kind of a yakety-yak going on. What you need to practice doing is ignoring the content, knowing that the thought is there. Sometimes it's helpful, if, if it's really trying to draw you in, it's helpful to give that thought a label, because by giving it a label, it actually involves a different mental process to label a thought as it does to become caught in the thought. So mm-hmm. labeling the thought is a way to, to help insulate yourself from its effect in drawing you away. And there are different ways. You, you can label a thought thinking. You just say, thinking, thinking. And then refocus your attention. And sometimes that'll be enough. Or remembering or you know, something like that. But a really useful way of labeling thoughts that come up is in terms of the five hindrances. Is this something you know about and have heard have you heard of five hindrances? Is that, anybody hasn't heard of five hindrances? Okay. <clears throat> five hindrances there's actually not enough time to discuss this at any length tonight, so we can talk about it more tomorrow. But basically they are sense desire, aversion and ill will, uh, procrastination and resistance, worry and agitation, and doubt. And almost anything that comes up in your mind in meditation can be fit into one of those five categories. You're thinking about something to do with your life and it's most likely going to have something to do with desire, worldly desire, or it may, if if you had an argument with somebody, or upset about something it may have to do with ill will and aversion, it's going to fall into one of those categories. And so um, becoming familiar with the five hindrances, you're very familiar with the five hindrances, will allow you to recognize them and label thoughts and meditation easily. But even more beneficial than that is these are the same five hindrances that are getting in the way of all kinds of things in your daily life. And you'll start to be aware when they're there and they're getting in the way. So that's nice. Supposed to be really helpful, <laughs> but we can talk more about those when we have more time. I know that you probably all have places to go, and have things to do tonight. Are there are there any last questions? And uh, I don't want to leave anybody. Yes.
2: Yeah, I have a question uh, related to what you spoke about before with meditation. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you, you you spoke about the Buddha saying, you know, to get ropes to enlightenment, are going, um, uh, shamatha, vipassana, vipassana, shamatha, and then kind of the yoke. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the shamatha, thinking that vipassana is getting, you know, some experiential insight and in wisdom, how does one get there? How is it possible without shamatha, how is it possible to get there without
0: having a quieter calm of nine? Uh, You have to have a quieter calm of nine, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be at the point we call shamanic. Okay. As a matter of fact, in the... There's what's called the progress of insight that describes 16 stages of the dry insight practice. Mm-hmm. And... Um, The true beginning of insight is said to be at a stage called the arising and passing away. That's where you have enough concentration that you can be aware of the individual <clears throat> arising and passing away, I think. At that point, you have enough concentration that you'll have piti. you'll have meditative joy arises, you'll experience tranquility and equanimity, not fully developed, but these, in its preliminary forms. And in the dry insight practice, these are called the defilements of insight. Because if at that point you've developed enough concentration to have these arise, it can be very tempting to say to yourself, oh, this is it, I'm sati- I know why you now I'm quit. You have to have that degree of concentration. That's not samatayaka. You have to have that degree of concentration before true insight will arise. What follows the knowledge of arising and passing away is what's called knowledge of dissolution. Di- dis- uh, dissolution, dissolving. Your mind has become really sharp, and of course, in this practice, you're, you're, your mind is moving quickly. You've trained it in such ways that it's, it's, it's hitting on everything that happens, and yeah? it's labeling or noticing everything that happens. And so at that point you'll begin to see that every phenomenon disappears, and every, including every mental phenomenon, your knowing of an object disappears, and so that's called knowledge of dissolution. And that's the first of the insights that leads to uh, understanding of impermanence. After you've, after you've had experience of all these insights, and you get through then. uh, toward the end of the process, then you have the uh, knowledge of equanimity towards formations. And that's the samatha. So you actually develop, you cannot do insight without a minimum level of concentration which corresponds to about stage six in the development of samatha. But that, so insight can start with that much concentration, but that insight cannot mature into enlightenment until you've experienced the, the tenth stage of samatha.
2: Thank you. Yes. Just as a small practical um, some of the folks here have started studying Sanskrit. So I wondered if at least once when you use a Pali term could you give us the Sanskrit equivalent?
0: Ah, yes. Okay. As to, as yes, best that I can remember. Yeah. So Sati would be uh smithi, and uh, Chiti, meditative joy, would be priti. Mm-hmm. Samadhi is the same in both. Samatha is shamatha, vipassana is vipassana. Mm-hmm. So, did I mention any others? There were
1: two that
0: I don't remember. I'll go back and listen to okay. the tomorrow. Words for re- remembering, maybe? Oh, well, that was smirti. smirti. Yeah, well... No, I'm yeah, I'm smirti is... is that's mindfulness. Actually, this is something, uh, this is one of those odd situations where the words have taken on different meanings in the two different languages. Um, Because if you you look at the Sanskrit-based literature, they'll refer to smrti as remembering. And in Pali, that's not what it means. It means mindful awareness.